Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let's pray once more. (coughs) Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are not a God who stands far off but you have come close, you who are mighty, you who have all power, you've come close in the person of Jesus Christ and you draw us close. And Lord, you know what each person is going through this morning, what we've come from and what's ahead of us this week. We ask, Father, please that you would speak into our lives, speak into our situations. Give us humble hearts to hear what you have to say to us. And Lord, would you guide what I say, and anything that is not of you, may it fall away. But may your voice be heard this morning. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just want to say thank you again. Uh, it's really great to, to be here. Thank you for your fellowship, for your partnership, and, and for your love. Um, we've been traveling around uh, the country uh, the last few uh, weeks. We've got about just under three weeks till we go back to Pakistan. And uh, last week, we were in Chesham uh, in North London. 
And uh, it's quite normal uh, when we go to uh, churches who are connected with us and praying for us, which is always a privilege, we quite often have heard a lot about other um, people who are in different parts of the world and different ministries that they are praying for. Like here, uh, heard a lot about uh, Pam and Sam, and we pray for them and are grateful for them. But I'm not sure that we, we may possibly years and years ago, maybe even before we ever went to Pakistan, we might have met them. Um, but, you know, we hear a lot about them, but we don't meet them. Last week, uh, it so happened that quite a few mission partners happened to be there at the same time that we got to meet. And one of them uh, was this guy um, who will appear. There he is. Um, his name is Emmanuel Gill. I love the, the way that God... Um, uh, does this he is sort of his view of efficiency and things isn't always the same as ours so uh, Emmanuel Gill uh, is Pakistani and God has brought him over here uh, to be bringing the gospel to people in the UK uh, and we're British and God's taken us to Pakistan but Emmanuel works for London City Mission uh, and he works in Harrow and in particular uh, he is involved in uh, introducing Hindus uh, in Harrow uh, to Jesus. There's a big uh, Hindu community. And uh, some of you will uh, know uh, some bits and pieces about Hinduism. Uh, Hindus believe that the, the divine is represented in, in various different forms, uh, worshipped in these forms of gods and goddesses. Um, and uh, Emmanuel was sharing that when I share about Jesus with people, I tend to be met with a very positive response. And this has been our experience in, with Hindu friends in Pakistan. People are very keen uh, to hear about Jesus. Uh, and uh, they very quickly accept Jesus. But they're, what they mean when they accept Jesus is they just sort of slightly rearrange things and add Jesus uh, to the collection. Because, oh yes, I can see how the divine shows itself in Jesus. Clearly, Jesus has some divinity, yes. And uh, he said that he, ha he has uh, several friends who he will literally go uh, and they will have their shrine in their house and they've put up this kind of picture uh, of Jesus and added it uh, in the shrine. Uh, and he said it takes time to remove the other deities and to realize that who Jesus is, uh, that Jesus is the one true living God, uh, as we were just singing about, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, takes time to remove the other deities. And uh, I'd always thought of that as sort of quite different to our own experience. Um, uh, and, and of course, the way that it, it works itself out in practice is, I think of uh, one uh, Hindu village uh, in Sindh province in Pakistan uh, that we went to, and they showed us into this little uh, room, and I mean, it was like something you've never been in before. You know, there was so much sort of color and flowers and incense and all these little idols and, uh, that were worshipped. That's very different from our experience. But actually, it struck me last week that perhaps it's not so different uh, from our experience. You see, uh, we have idols, uh, but they don't all look like this, uh, do they? They tend to look more like this. Um, the longing for approval from other people. The desire for intimacy and relationships. Wanting to be successful in whatever field we happen to be in. Comfort, rest, 
maybe for some of you football I'm not big into football but I remember uh, when I went to see Reading in the playoffs uh, some years ago uh, at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff and uh, it struck me how uh, this was the other place uh, where I had really, and often with much more enthusiasm, I'd seen people going mad in worship uh, as they were singing uh, for, their, for their team. And when we come to Christ, often it's a sort of slow process of finding, uh, to begin with, it sort of feels like, where, where, does he, where does he fit in? And a slow process and a slow battle of putting those things, not all of which, of course, are bad, but putting them in their place. Um, for example, uh, I think it would be easy to look at, you know, our family, for example, and say, oh, they've, they've followed Jesus to Pakistan. They're really following Jesus. George Verwer, who founded OM, famously said, we don't believe in sanctification by aviation. Getting you on a plane doesn't suddenly make, make you holy. And, you know, this, uh, if I think about this sort of desire for approval down here, I've carried that with me to Pakistan. And that uh, often, um, it's, it's a fight. Galatians 5, Paul talks about the, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit wage war against each other in our hearts. That's part of the experience of being a Christian. Uh, often it's we find that when we make unwise choices or sinful choices, it's because one of these kind of idols has, has won in that moment of decision over Jesus, wanting someone else to like me, uh, just wanting to have some comfort, wanting to be seen as successful, wanting to climb the ladder. Perhaps you feel like you've nailed it, uh, this Christian life, and you don't face any of these things, or perhaps you feel like me, that so, at least sometimes your life, your heart, your emotions are out of balance and, and driven by these things. Paul, the apostle, had uh, temptations to idolatry. He talks about it in, uh, from verse 4 in our passage. He, he, he describes it as confidence in the flesh, confidence in himself. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Number one, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Had a really solid start. I'm from a good family. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And uh, we live in a more individualistic culture where perhaps this doesn't push us so much. But in lots of the world, the tribe that you're from, the family that you're from, the background that you're from is really important. And in fact, I would be inclined to say that in Pakistan, in practice, it's the highest value, the honor of your family. That's often the thing that trumps Jesus. If there's something that's going to be a temptation to trump Jesus, and so, you know, I'll lie about something or I will steal something or whatever, we have different drivers for the temptation. Uh, in Pakistan, it's often... The family. Paul, Paul had that history when in, in the people of Israel. That kind of history, that belonging to God's people, that being a descendant of Abraham, that was an important thing. We tend to 
perhaps in our culture only see it in Harry Potter, uh, where being a pure blood uh, is an important thing. But tribe. But he says it's not just who I am, but what I did. I wasn't just born into a good Jewish family. I was a good committed Jew, more committed than just about anyone else out there. I was a persecutor of the church. I put Christians in prison. And finally, according to righteousness or legalistic righteousness, faultless. Faultless. A high flyer in every circle that he was in, a performer who outstripped the rest. He had success in his context. But then, verse 7, enter Jesus. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Loss. He doesn't just say nothing, does he? Previously, he'd considered those things gain. That's a positive thing. And he doesn't just say, I consider them nothing. He says, I consider them loss. They're not just nothing, but they're, they're negative. Why are they negative? Because these things for Paul were, were a distraction. These things for Paul were, were dangerous. They, they weren't all wrong. Some of them were wrong, putting Christians in prison. But they're not all wrong. They have their place. But as far as it came to, to in Paul's heart... The temptation for confidence in the flesh, the temptation for something in my life, in my heart, to compete with Jesus. No, they're negative. They're loss. Verse 8, I consider everything a loss compared to. So everything is, is potentially damaging, is potentially negative. It's, it's a loss when compared to, when put against the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. So it's not that family is necessarily bad, but when family puts us against Jesus, that's a problem. It's not that success in our different spheres is necessarily bad, but when that puts us against Jesus, that's a problem. When on a given decision... What I know Jesus would have me decide and what I know my career path, my success, my making this or that person happy, my desire for relationship, whatever it is, when I know that that would pull me in a different direction, that's a problem. And I need to count them as loss. And he did. He, he counted these things. Perhaps the first to go was this persecution of the church, but he went through it all and he said, I counted it all as loss. I'm sure he still had temptations. I'm sure when it came to people wanting to say, you wanting to hear people say 10 out of 10 for Paul, that that was still a temptation, but he actively counted them as rubbish. That, that, some translations say counted, some say considered. It's, that's a word that's to do with, with the, the will, isn't it? My heart wants to pull one way. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to say, I'm going to consider, no, that thing is a loss compared to Jesus. I, I'm going to count it as rubbish. 
compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is where the rubber hits the road, isn't it, for us? Um, If we go back to our, what might be some of our challenges, and where does Jesus come into it? It's It's very easy to say, isn't it? Well, of course, Jesus is, Jesus is supreme. And it's true. But when the rubber hits the road, when we're actually in that moment of temptation, when our heart's desires are taking us another way, will we choose to say, I'm going to count this thing as, as damaging. And I'm going to follow Jesus. Uh, let's look at that desire for approval from people bottom right. When I'm tempted to take something else on in order that they will think that I'm a, I'm a helpful guy, I'm a hard worker, whatever it is, will I choose to see that that is rubbish compared to the inner circle I'm already in? It's one of the big temptations, isn't it? We want people to like us. We want to be in the inner circle. You're already in the best inner circle there is. You know the best inner circle there is? The most exclusive inner circle there is? It's the fellowship of the Trinity. To be in that inner circle, you have to be God or married to God. And it's one of those images in the Bible that Jesus has made all those who believe in him, the bride of Christ, to bring us to share in the fellowship of Christ, to share in the fellowship of the Trinity. If I can just feed my heart with realities like that, then it will be easier to say, that's rubbish, that's rubbish, and to, to, to do the thing that Jesus will want. What about intimacy through relationship, which our culture loves to sell us? I don't know if uh, those of you who are on uh, Netflix, so many of the little, um, you know, little, I don't know what you call them, thumbnails or whatever, the little pictures that sort of uh, want to draw you into watching something, so many of them are people almost having a kiss. They know that there's something in that desire for intimacy in us that sort of draws us in. And makes us want to do that. And, and, and our, our culture sells to us that intimacy and relationship is the only way to be happy. Now, of course, relationships are a good thing. Marriage, as well as singleness, both are good. But it's nothing compared to being one with Jesus forever. It's nothing compared to knowing him. And so one of the big temptations that, especially but not only, young Christians often face, if it's becoming increasingly challenging to find a Christian, you know, someone who loves Jesus, to marry, if they've got that desire for marriage, then it's very easy to compromise on that. Or... 
when marriage itself is hard. And there's a temptation to play away. Can we focus on that? On who Jesus is? On what he's done for us? Does chapter 2 say, He made himself nothing. He gave up all of the quality of relationship and life, glory and splendor that he had in heaven. He made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death. When I look at how much he loves me, will that help me to say, ah, that's rubbish, compared, compared to knowing Jesus? When I desire to just have an easy and pampered and comfortable life, and I know that the way of following Jesus, Jesus is calling me to do something hard, something that will involve suffering. Paul talks here, doesn't, doesn't he, about the fellowship of his sufferings. Can I look at who Jesus is and what he has done for me? Can I ask him for help that I would become like him and therefore be able to say that longing just for the easy life is rubbish compared to him? Not that rest is wrong. In fact, rest is very important. That's another day's sermon. Rest is so important. But sometimes it's so tempting just to jack in what God has called us to do and go for the easiest option available. Or when I desire to be successful and recognized at work or in sport or in whatever sphere that I'm in, will I see that it is rubbish compared to being recognized in heaven? Paul talks about the, the righteousness that comes from God, this is the end of verse 9, and is by faith. Righteousness. God saying, yeah, he's okay. Because of what Jesus has done for us. If we belong to Jesus, we have the greatest approval, the greatest success there ever can be. And this is a choice. This is a daily choice. Notice that verse 8 Paul doesn't say, and verse 7, he doesn't say, I considered past tense it lost. Yeah, I've considered it lost. Tick. Now I'm, now everything's easy. He says, I consider it lost. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Consider, consider, consider. Regard, regard, regard. Count, count, count. Not counted, not regarded, not considered. But again, today, when my heart is drawn to other people's approval, to being seen as successful, to having that glittering accolade or title. But I know that that would be, in this particular case, not the way Jesus would have me go. I know that that would mean less commitment to what he's called me to. I know that that would mean, for example, I can't be regular at church. I know that that would mean that you know, where, where, I, where I already am at the moment. I, I, know, I know that it would mean that I can't um, g- 
give the time to my family that Jesus would have me give. I know it would mean that I can't, if you're a husband, love my wife sacrificially as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Whatever it is, I know that that would take me away from what Jesus would have for me. Well, okay, I need to consider that thing as loss. It's damaging. It's taking me away from the way that Jesus would have me go. Why? Because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Because of what Paul has already been talking about in Philippians. And, and he, I'm just going to read, I, I half read it out now, but I'm just going to read verses 6 to 11 of chapter 2. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. There's, there's status that Jesus has in heaven. And he doesn't want to just grasp it. He doesn't want to just hang on to it. But he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Think about all that that meant for him in terms of poverty in terms of being misunderstood in terms of being maligned and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Paul says that our attitude should be the same as that. That as we humble ourselves, what do we find? We find that we are lifted up with him. Paul talks in Ephesians about us being seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. Could there be anything better? Okay, there's lots of wonderful things in this world that he's given us, but it's all passing away. How many years have we got left? We don't know. But compared to eternity with Jesus, we'd be foolish to trade that in for this little trinket of success or approval or whatever it is that we want. And so therefore, with Paul, we choose to follow Jesus. He doesn't want you to think Paul is already super mature. For Paul, it's easy. No, verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained all this. Not that I've already been made perfect. No, but I press on. Get that sense every day. He, he's pushing, he's considering that thing as loss. He's, he's, he's focusing on Jesus. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. To take hold of all that there is in Jesus. Eternal life of knowing him forever, of being with him forever. One thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining towards what's ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards. In Christ Jesus. And so the challenge to us today is what? It's what Paul started with in verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord. Do we see who he is? I mean, this picture just captures the, the tiniest glimpse. And, and I, I chose this one because of how it 
casts our minds back to chapter 2 when he humbled himself and made himself obedient to death. But, but Jesus now is, is exalted at the right hand of heaven. He's the king of everything and he's willing, wanting to share all that with us. If we will fix our eyes on him, if we will realize who he is for us, if we will see how much he loves us, oh, we can rejoice in the Lord. And, and, and that desire, it's still there and it's still a war within us, but, but that helps us in that fight against those desires for other things in this world that the world promises will give us joy, but that will never give us the joy that we can have in the Lord. Number one, rejoice in the Lord. Number two, we need reminding. Paul knows that this isn't new. And I know that many of you have been walking with Jesus longer than I have been alive. And this isn't new for you. But Paul says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. We need to keep reminding ourselves and reminding each other. Rejoice in the Lord. Look at who he is. We've talked mainly this morning about temptations that are, as it were, inside us. Those desires for other things. But Paul also makes the point that there are temptations on on the outside. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. In, In their context, this was... People saying, you know, did, did God really say that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed? If Jesus Christ sets you free, you're free indeed? Or did he mean you're free indeed, but you also need to be circumcised and follow all the Jewish laws for God to approve you? They're putting confidence in the flesh. They're wanting to, uh, Paul calls it, mutilate the flesh. Now that's not, I don't think, a big problem for us. I've not heard of a big push for circumcision at New Life Church. Um, Tell me if I'm wrong. But uh, we have other temptations and challenges from without in our context. In every generation, right from the Garden of Eden, there are those who will say, Did God really say? Did God really say? Undermining our confidence in God's word. Paul says, remember Jesus. Rejoice in him. Look to him. Press into him. And as we do it, let's encourage each other. Let's remind each other of these things. It's not easy. But with him, it's possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you have given us in Jesus. And we confess that we so often lose sight of that. So often lose sight of that. And we chase after other things. We really need your help to genuinely consider those things which pull our hearts away from you as loss, as damaging, as unhelpful, as things we want to eliminate or put in their place. And Father, we know that our hearts are complex. 
and that this is often a, a long and challenging thing of getting to know you better and seeing ourselves in your light. Help us to change. Help us to take the next step that you have got for us. And Father, I want to pray particularly this morning for any who are here who sense that you are calling them to something new, to step out and do something that will involve loss of comfort in some way, or loss of status, loss of reputation, will involve loss in a worldly sense. And we know those losses are very real, and we feel them. Lord, give those brothers and sisters grace to see you. And in your strength, to press on to what you are calling them to do. Father, open our eyes more and more each day to who you are, to who Jesus is, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask in the name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.